Good morning, everybody. We're starting in Isaiah uh, chapter 60, verses 1 to 5, which is page 528. The subheading here is the glory of Zion. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you, and to you the riches of nations will come. Then turning over to John chapter 12, page 762, and we're starting at verse 27, going through to verse 46. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say this son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved praise from men more than praise from God then Jesus cried out when a man believes in me he does not believe in me only but in the one who sent me and when he looks at me he sees the one who sent me I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness One Christmas, my younger brother, when he was about four, 
he opened up a present that actually belonged to my dad. And um, it was one of those sort of boring socks and jocks kind of presents. And so my brother holds up this giant pair of undies and he says, Thanks, Mum. What made it so funny at the time was that he just sounded so extremely genuine. I mean, what kind of four-year-old kid is, is thankful for a present like that, even if it is a giant novelty pair of undies? I'm sure Dad wasn't so excited. In all the, the excitement of present opening, my brother obviously wasn't paying much attention to what he was actually getting. In a way, we can be a bit like my brother at Christmas. It's, it's quite easy to not really reflect on, on what it is that, that God is giving us with Christmas. It's actually quite easy to say, thanks God, and, and even to be genuine about it, but not really think any deeper about what it is that we're getting. Like I said to the kids, every Christian knows that Jesus is the best gift at Christmas, but we don't always feel it. And sometimes we just don't push deeper to think, why? Why is Jesus the best gift? What exactly does God give us when he's giving us Jesus? Why is it that he's so precious, so costly and so fitting for us. This series, we're looking at four of the things that God gives us when he gives us Jesus. Now, there are, there are many more than four, of course, but we're just focusing on, on just four, all from the Gospel of John. Last week, we saw that when God gives us Jesus, he gives us, uh, he's actually making the Father known, that's the gift. Next week, we'll see the gift of freedom, and then we'll see the gift of life to the full. Today, we see what gift God gives us in chapter 1, verse 9. Have a look at it with me. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. When God gives us Jesus, he gives us light. Now, Jesus being light, clearly that's a metaphor, uh, it's a metaphor that's used quite a bit in the first half of the Gospel of John. Jesus says about himself, as we just heard, I am the light of the world. But what does he really mean by the metaphor? There are at least three things that he means by this. First, Jesus means he's the source and sustainer of life. And so that means when, Jesus, when God gives us Jesus the light, he gives us the gift of knowing the source and sustainer of life. Look at chapter 1, verse 3, where we see that light is being used as a metaphor for life. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus is light to us like the sun is light to our world. Without the light of the sun, there's, there's no life. There's only coldness and darkness and death. This is saying, whether we acknowledge the warmth of Jesus' light or not, it's only because of Jesus that there's life. The claim is that all of life has its source in Jesus and, and all of life is, is sustained in Jesus. Life is imagined and is brought into being and is upheld because of him. Every living thing owes its ongoing existence to him. Each breath we take, we don't take alone, we, we take it as he gives it to us. But think about what this claim really means. 
it's perhaps the most arrogant, self-centered claim someone could ever make about themselves unless it were actually true. I am the light of the world. As C.S. Lewis points out, these can only be the words of either a liar or a lunatic or someone who really is Lord. What they can't be is the words of someone who's just a good teacher. Because a good teacher would never make such a claim as that. With these words, it's like Jesus shines a torch into the faces of his hearers in such a way that we've got to respond to him. And if Jesus really is the source and sustainer of life, then by shining this light in our face, it's not arrogance if it's true. It's a gift. Because in giving us Jesus, God is giving us the creative genius behind it all. He's giving, giving us the one who invented everything. Happiness. That feeling of falling in love. He's giving us the one who invented friendship. And laughter. Sex. Marriage. And love. And God gives us Jesus with all of his creative brilliance and power and he gives him to us for us to know him and to have access to him and for him to lead us. There's an expression that I keep hearing on the radio these days uh, that I hate the idea of. People talk about the political class. Have you heard that expression? This, This is a subgroup of people who lead us not because they've got a special insight into what it's like to work hard or a special insight into what it's like to struggle through life. They don't lead us because they've got a special insight into what makes for a good life. No, they lead us because they've got a special insight into being politicians. I guess I don't so much hate the expression, but the idea that we're led by such a group of people. Sometimes they're just so frustrating and disappointing And it's just so depressing to think about people who let us down. In Jesus, we're given a different kind of leader. We're given life's designer to lead us. We're given the source of creation himself encoded into creation. Unlike the political class, Jesus knows exactly where we need to be heading and he knows exactly how we can get there. This world, it was made for his light. And this world is truly lit up and beautiful as it receives his light. But the opposite is true as well. When this world's out of step, steps out of his life, out, out of his light, it's cold and, and dark and ugly. It's kind of like when you lift up something on the lawn that's been there for a long time and the grass has been deprived of light. And this brings us to our second point. In giving us Jesus, God gives us the gift of knowing that we are in darkness. Look at John three nineteen, where we see this. Jesus says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It might seem like a strange gift, but when God gives us Jesus, he's giving us the gift of seeing who we really are. And the verdict is that we love darkness instead of light. Now, I don't need to convince you, I don't think, about the reality of darkness in our world. I mean, it's pretty easy for anyone to see. 
you just got to think of ISIS or child abuse or nuclear weapons. And on a personal level, you'd have as many stories as me about the darkness that you've encountered in this world. It's not hard to see darkness out there in the world, but it can be quite hard to see it in ourselves. Not because it's not there, but because we hate to have it pointed out. Not many people like the light, whatever light you're talking about. Not many people like the light when it shows us up. No one likes to be suddenly shown that they're not the husband that they thought they were. No one likes to be shown that they're not the mother that they aspire to be. Nobody likes to suddenly be shown that they're not as good at their job as they need to be. And nobody likes to be shown that they're not as funny or caring or intelligent or interesting as they want to be. And this is especially true when God shines light on us in sending Jesus. When he says, yes, I am here. Yes, I do care. But no, you are not what you should be. You've fallen short. Of course we don't like it. And our natural reaction is just to reject it completely, of course. Last week I was telling you a story about an atheist um, who said, well, even if there is a God, he should be happy with me because I'm a good person. And just this week I was talking to someone who, um, who actually said something very similar. We don't like to think of ourselves as being in the dark. We like to think of ourselves as enlightened. We like to think that we have a a true handle on reality and we live in its light and we're good. We're only happy for God to shine a kind of soft, warm light that makes us feel better about ourselves, not the bright, burning, pure light that we see in Jesus. And so we either try to create God in a way that allows us to carry on really worshipping ourselves or we try to imagine that the source of our life, God, isn't even there. But it's only as we step outside God's light and consider ourselves in the glow of our own self-appreciation that we could ever sustain the belief that God should be happy with us. When in fact, just by thinking that, what we're saying is that we consider ourselves to be the true light of the world. We never verbalise that to anyone, not even to ourselves, I don't think. But the way we live, as if we're at the very centre of the world, it betrays our belief. God exposes that our ideas of darkness are desperately inadequate. Darkness is so much closer to home than we can handle admitting. And how we react to God's right to point that out, well, that only proves the point. Really, we should see the light that Jesus shines as a gift. Because it's better to know the truth. It's better to have an early diagnosis of cancer. It's better to know that a relationship's in trouble before it's too late. Or that we're not doing as well at work as we need to before we get fired. And in this case, it's better to know the truth about who we are and how God sees us. Jesus says there's two possible reactions when God's light hits us. So look at verse 20. He says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So some people 
when the spotlight is put on them, they flee the light. They see the truth in an instant and they hate it. And so they reject the truth in the next instant. But we see the next reaction in verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they've done, what they've done has been done in the sight of God. Some people see the truth about themselves and they don't like it, but at the same time they also see the truth about God and that they do like. And the truth about God shines so much brighter than the truth about themselves and it holds them there in the light, fully conscious that they're unworthy but so in awe and worship of God that they can't look away. When I was growing up, I used to live in Kiama on the south coast of, of New South Wales. And at night, sometimes you could come into the kitchen and you'd turn on the light and cockroaches would scurry in all different directions. Now, you haven't met a cockroach unless you've lived on the east coast of Australia, can I just say? The things that we have over here, the cute little darling things, you could adopt as pets... But on the East Coast, they are horrible, jet black, scurrying, licking your benches and your toothbrush at night, even your face. You got the idea. I've got, and yes, I've got a thing about cockroaches. Some nights growing up, I'd turn on the light and five or six would just dart in all different directions. They hated the light. They couldn't stand it. They, they had to get out of it no matter what. But also in Kiama around this time of year, actually, there's another kind of insect, Christmas beetles. And these also are not so nice to look at and they kind of get in your face and got spiky little feet that get all over you. But these guys, when you turn on the light, they'd be captivated by it and they'd be drawn into the light like they were unable to leave it. That's what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. We see who we are and... It's not flattering, but we see even more powerfully who God is, and so we can't, we can't look away even if we wanted to. Now, this may seem like a strange gift, realising our unworthiness, but actually realising our unworthiness like this is one of the greatest gifts we can ever receive, not just because it's the truth and it's best to know our predicament, but also because it allows us to see that God accepts us despite our unworthiness. You know, in life we strive to impress others and actually we strive to impress ourselves. And while we might manage some kind of surface superficial success, we can't really tame the ugliness within. We never really succeed in controlling our desires and motivations. We judge others while excusing the inexcusable in ourselves. We're drawn to darkness. And yet, God accepts us completely as we are while at the same time as rejecting our evil the gift of God's light in Jesus for believers is is, it's like being in front of a, a mirror that could see into our hearts and suddenly the light comes on and and we see what we're really like but we also get to see at exactly the same time that there is Jesus beside us seeing it all as well but he doesn't run from us He stays there right beside us and we get to see that he'll never leave us. The gift is that we're accepted, not because we're beautiful, not because we belong in the light, but because God will never turn away from those who look to him. 
And from this place, there before God like that, God gives us in Jesus the gift of life illuminated and eternal. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light here that that Jesus is promising, that he gives us, it's not just physical life. It is that, but it's, it's also spiritual life. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus prays to God and, and he prays, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The gift of Jesus is that he illuminates the way that we can, we can have eternal life by knowing him, by his death in our place. We can know life forever in his light. In fact, he says, knowing him the source and sustainer of life, is itself eternal life. And that eternal life starts now, already in our present life. Even in the midst of darkness, we don't walk in darkness when we follow Jesus. We see this in John twelve forty six. Jesus says, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus gives us the gift of confidently knowing how life should be lived now. Many years ago, I used to go hiking with a friend who's now my brother-in-law. It's always a little bit awkward when your friend becomes your brother-in-law because you suddenly realise that they weren't really interested in you. (laughs) And he does actually listen to my talks sometimes, so hello Dan if you're there. One time... We were hiking, Dan and I, at a place called Bungonia National Park on the Shellhaven River. And um, Dan's dad, he, he gave us a lift there. But the thing about Dan's dad is that he, he just never did anything in a hurry. He was always taking his time. And we'd always get so frustrated with him. But by the time we got to the Horseshoe Bend at Bungonia National Park, which you can see there, it was starting to get dark. We were going to be coming down that sort of mountainside you can see on the far side. This is taken from the other side. I got it from the internet. The sensible thing to do would have been just to make camp up the top of the ridge and um, make our way down in the morning. But we were young, I think about 15, and we were a bit stupid. And so we set off making our way down to the river. But by the time we were just a quarter of the way into the trip, it was completely dark. And we were just feeling our way forward, feeling our way downwards, blind. Now, surprisingly, most of the trip was actually fine because often ignorance at least feels like bliss. And it wasn't until the morning when we actually could see what we'd come down that we realised just how lucky we'd been. But there were moments on that trip where that feeling of panic starts to take hold. I don't know if you've ever felt it before when you're on a cliff and you feel yourself slipping and by the sound of the rocks crashing down below, you know that you don't want to fall. But the real panic comes when you have no idea if going forward is the right idea or not, whether it's going to just end in sheer cliff or whether you should go back, but you don't want to go back because you know what you've been through just to get to this point. I tell you, in those moments, all you want is light, proper light. Would have given anything for it to be daylight. But then surprisingly, once those panic moments had passed, the desperate craving for light passes also. 
It seems to me that this is similar to how many of us experience life. Most of the time everything feels fine, but then there are these crisis points where suddenly we realise that we're walking completely in darkness and we're slipping and we've got no idea what we should do. For some people it's a marriage crisis or a crisis with a child or a health crisis or a work crisis or a lack of work crisis or a death. Sometimes it's just reaching a certain age and thinking, what's the purpose of all this? What's the meaning? Where's it all heading? For some, that moment comes and goes and that desperate craving for light is gone as well. But for others, it's the catalyst to look for a greater light to guide our life. Jesus gives us the gift of that greater light. He gives us the gift of seeing what life's about. We're not left wondering. As believers, it's so easy to take it for granted because we just get so used to it. He gives us the gift of seeing how life is best lived. Now, it might sound arrogant that we think we can see like this. It does sound arrogant, but it's really not. Because Jesus says that we see the path through life in perfect daylight only when we have the humility to follow in his footsteps. Not in the glow of our own personal light. In God's eyes, that's arrogance and that's darkness. But since we're following Jesus, this means we walk through life in humble service of God and other people. Because we pick our path according to the footsteps of Jesus ahead of us. And Jesus walked humbly to the cross to die for the sake of others. Even though he is the light of this world, the source of life. When I'm in the city here in Adelaide, I always notice Adelaide Uni signboards. And and particularly I notice their motto, Seek Light. I reckon it's a noble and a beautiful calling. It's a great motto. But of course, it's, it's very possible to have great intelligence and knowledge, but to have still not found the light. Because we all know people who are incredibly smart, but who've got no idea how to live happy, meaningful lives. In the end, a um, university education and even an inquisitive mind, it can't take you far enough. You can know all about the world and yet still avoid the light. You know, we could tell the story of this universe, its origins and the forces and the the laws of physics. But if there really is a lawgiver who's ordered and structured this universe, and if we think that the greatest story ever told is, is the journey of human knowledge of this world, rather than the creative brilliance of the designer behind the world, that's not light, that's tragic. Last week, I was listening to a speech by an American writer and intellectual named David Foster Wallace, uh, who sadly ended up committing suicide. He was speaking to a graduating class, and um, his speech was called, This is Water. Essentially, he was saying that the ordinary stuff of life really matters, and and it's where we experience ultimate reality. The stuff we don't even think about, the stuff we take for granted, it's actually worthy of much greater thought, he said. He wasn't a Christian, but near the end of his speech... He says this, Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. 
Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, it is that they're unconscious, they are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self. There's so much in this speech that is just really great. It's incredibly insightful and it, it articulates some of the problems that humans have got with meaning and purpose and it does it brilliantly. But it's a problem that followers of Jesus don't need to have. God's gift to us in Jesus is that he shines the light on us. He shines the light for us onto ultimate reality. And it's not ourselves. It's not our beauty or our intelligence or our power. It's not even our choice to think, which is where David Foster Wallace lands. We know what to worship. We've seen him. We know what ultimate reality is. We've met him. He's all-consuming, but he doesn't consume us. Worship of him won't eat us alive. We're captivated by the light of his life, by the source and sustainer of life, the one who reveals our darkness but accepts us all the same and, and lights up the path to eternal life simply by knowing him. We're not left with any sense of doubt about what life's about or what we should be doing or, or what's right and wrong. Jesus lights our steps, and not just in matters of ethical questions either, but he lights up our life's purpose and our identity and our meaning and our destiny. Our steps are illuminated before us in what really matters. We worship God in all of life, and we use any and every situation we come across to do it. All other things in the end are not essential to us. They're not where we find life. It's found in Jesus. This Christmas, if, if you're a believer, I hope that you get a chance just to stop and appreciate the gift. We've been given light. Forgiveness is illuminated. Acceptance, purpose and meaning are illuminated. Hope and future and a future, they're illuminated. And these things are priceless. We should never cast them aside in search of a greater gift. If you're not a believer, I'm sure you've got your reasons, but are you sure of them? Notice from what we've seen today, it's not the light who rejects us. It's actually us who won't step into the light. It's very easy to to reject the light, not necessarily for solid reasons. It's It's exactly what Jesus tells us that we're inclined to do. But if we have the courage to look past what this light says about ourselves to see what it reveals about God it's a gift it's captivating 
It's life-giving and it's life-changing. The light's not comfortable. It's not a weak kind of glow. It's far stronger and powerful than that. But remember, the God who sees your faults and failures more truly than, than you see them yourself is the same God who loves you nonetheless more than you even love yourself. This is the God who wants to give us eternal life and everything that goes with it. And he does it by giving to us Jesus, this world's light. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, even though we've been captivated by you and who you are, even still, Lord, we can fail to see just how glorious Jesus is and just how wonderful it is to live in his light. Lord, he does light up this world and explains its meaning and purpose like nothing else can. Lord, he lights up the dignity of humans and explains our value like nothing else can. And yet, Lord, he also exposes our shortfallings, which we see and know are true. Lord, we pray that this Christmas we'd recognize just how wonderful this gift is, even if it's not comfortable. And Lord, we pray that you would captivate our days always, forever, to live in this light, following Jesus, worshipping you in every moment, in every possibility of life, realising that this is a joy and a blessing and our destiny and our privilege and our purpose. We thank you so much for Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen.